The scripture reading today is from the book of Genesis and Proverbs and the Gospel of Matthew. You can find it printed on page 8 of your worship folder. A reading from Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And now a reading from Proverbs chapter 8. Does not wisdom call, and does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights, beside the way, at the crossroads she takes her stand. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries out, To you, O people, I call, and my cry is to all that live. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of long ago. When he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master worker. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the human race. And now a reading from Matthew chapter 28. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, meet us now, we pray. Help us to believe that you have arranged this moment, that we might hear your voice, that we might be lured in more and more to surrender and to trust you with our lives. Give us grace now to hear what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was sitting right about where Alex Lim is sitting. It was the fall of 2005, and I was in an electrifying Presbytery meeting. So electrifying Presbytery meeting. Did you catch that? And none other than Scott Sherman was up here being examined. In our tradition, we do a lot of examination for a person to become a pastor. Anybody you see with one of these on has been through a very extensive, Melissa, myself, others you see here, very expensive, ex extensive, not expensive, thank God, exam. Except it kind of costs, that's for sure. <laughs> Theology, sacraments, Bible, Greek, Hebrew, church history, it's very thorough. And so I was prepared to be kind of bored. And I have so many fun Scott Sturman stories to tell, right? Uh, you know, like the time he invited me to a baseball game, and he told me he had these great seats. They were orchestra. Um, and um, he's an opera aficionado. But, um, but this is a really beautiful story. This is not a make fun of Scott story or, or anything like that, even though it's fun to do, and he likes to do it with me, and we have a good time with that. Um, but this is a profound moment. Because for some reason in all of my training, I'd never really got this one thing. But Scott was talking about the Trinity, the doctrine of God, 
and he was asked, talk about your understanding of the doctrine of God. And so he says, Trinity, he says, three and one. I'm like, yep, check, check. And then he said this, God is love, literally. And it hit me. That God's love is not just love towards me. I'd heard that many times. But God's love is God's love toward God. That God exists in relationship. That God is friendship, the title of this sermon. God is relationship. God is community. That God exists in this internal community of love. I'd never thought of it that way before. That love, therefore love, obviously is the theme of all of Scripture. Whether it's the Hebrew Scriptures where we have this idea of the hesed, the covenant, the covenantal steadfast love of God. Or we get to Jesus in the New Testament and he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And what does Jesus say? Love God, love your neighbor. What does Jesus say around the table the night in which he was betrayed that we reenact every Sunday and remember especially on Monday, Thursday when he gave the mandate, the command? I command you to love one another as I have loved you. And in that very moment, he calls them his friends. His friends. It's relational from start to finish. And so the question before us is what does the relational life of God have to do with how we construct relational lives of purpose and of of flourishing that enrich our lives. What might the internal life of God teach us about friendship, about relationship, about creating a community of love, that we might be enriched more in our communities, that we might mimic the life of the Trinity and our love for one another? And so we start with that this week. This is kind of a kickoff to the entire theme, all three, love for God, love of of, of neighbor and city. But in particular today, as we talk about the Trinity, what does it mean to have this same relational life? So let's look, first of all, at the relational life of God, then the relational love of God, and then, sadly, not another L, the relational community of God. All right, first of all, because, you know, alliteration, just kind of, thank you. The relational life of God. So what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think of God? If I say God and we're doing word association, what words go up on the whiteboard? The imaginary whiteboard behind me. I do this when I teach classes. I'll just put God or Jesus or Bible and see what comes up for people. And I can tell you when I do God, it's everything from love to hate. It's everything from abuser to friend. It's sometimes it's hoax. Sometimes the word power You can imagine what some of the other words are. Here's what I want to come to your mind when you hear the word God. Are you ready? Divine dance of love. You heard me. Divine dance of love. Or what the 4th century Cappadocian fathers in the area of Turkey, when they're trying to continue to work out this idea of Trinity, called perichoresis. Divine dance. The choresis part of that is where we get the word choreography, that the members of the Trinity are an internal community of passionate love for one another. Patrick Chang, in his thought-provoking book, said it this way. He says, the doctrine of the Trinity is a manifestation of God's radical love because it is an internal community of radical love. You can go on and read the rest of that quote later on, but you get the idea. Perichoresis. And, And so when we consider that, 
When we kind of might even say interrogate what the divine community looks like, we find that it actually creates community not like the ones that we tend to create when humans construct community. So what you'll find in the internal life of the Trinity is it actually subverts some things that we tend to do in community that actually makes it go awry. It subverts hierarchy, for example. The Trinity is not, you know, God, the divine parent, Father is not, you know, the real God, and then Jesus is kind, and then the Holy Spirit's kind of like one-third, you know. No, there's, glad I hit a nerve. I love it. It's equality. I wish all of you would laugh that way at my, at my uh, amazing insights. Um, no, it subverts hierarchy. You know what else it subverts? It subverts patriarchy. Stay with me. It subverts patriarchy because within the divine life of God, we have gender equity. That's right. I've read, we have Genesis 1, 2, second verse of the Bible read because in it, the translation should read, the spirit she brooded over the waters because it is a singular active feminine verb. This happens quite a lot. 30-something times the Spirit is referred to in feminine language throughout the Old Testament. Will Gaffney, in her amazing book, Womanist Midrash, which I didn't print, but thankfully was doing it on Google Docs, so I have it here, she, she chronicles this. She says, Imagine hearing the Scriptures proclaim with the gender of God's Spirit restored from Numbers 11. The Spirit, she rested on them. The Spirit, in Judges 6, she wore Gideon like a garment. The Spirit of God, she came upon David, 1 Samuel 16. The Spirit of God, she has made me, as Job said. Occurs more than 30 times in the Scriptures. She goes on to say, Feminine language occurs in the text repeatedly of God. This means that feminists and womanists advocating for inclusive and explicitly feminine God language are not changing, but restoring the text and could be considered biblical literalists. Fascinating, huh? And for those of you who do not fit neatly into male and female constructs in this room, the word spirit in the New Testament, pneuma, or pneuma, depending on how you would say it, is neuter in in gender. And so the Trinity truly has room for everyone. And I also know, and I should address this very quickly, that we say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit a lot here. And some of you are like, wow, really? Just only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And I know that this is rooted in our tradition, and I know that our tradition is rooted in patriarchy. I understand these things. So I'm not arguing that we say, never say those things again. I'm saying, in addition to, we have biblical warrant for calling God our mother, as Jesus greets those kinds of metaphors as well as we see in the Old Testament. And so to say father or mother, or to say creator, redeemer, sustainer, when referring to the triune God, or God, savior, counselor, or divine parent, incarnate son, ubiquitous spirit, all of those are 1,000% orthodox. And so the Trinity subverts hierarchy, it subverts patriarchy, it subverts homogeneity. The way that we create communities tends to be what? People that look like us. People that make the kind of money we make. People that like the things we like. We tend to veer away from communities that are intentionally diverse. But within the relational life of God, you have diversity. We tend to create communities of power, but within the relational life of God, you have power sharing. We tend to, listen to this one, we tend to create communities of coupledom. 
But within the life of God, we have three, not the prioritizing always of two. See? Which validates your community, whether you're paired up with someone or not. Because many of us have to do what most Christians had to do in the first century, which was create chosen family. And so you are not a second-class citizen in this community if you're not paired up. See, the more, and I'm just giving you these, think through it in your groups. The more you think about the relational life of God, the more you begin to see this is a community that's radical. This is a community that can invite me into something more than what I, on my own, by default, would create. See? If the Trinity is an example to be lived, as it was talked about, as Peter quoted in the video, and not just a puzzle to be solved, but an example to be lived, how does this shape how we understand ourselves? How does this shape how we understand others? How does this shape how we begin to think about what we want for our communal experience in life? The invitation is to step in to this divine dance. Step into this divine dance. Every now and then, I'll wear this collar in public. And, you know, it might be on a bus or it might be, you know, walking down the you know, hospital or whatever. And somebody will say, what is, you know, something along the lines of, what are you trying to get with people? I've said, you know, I want people to step into the divine dance of love. And they're not expecting that response. I just want you to know. But it's always like, tell me more. Tell me more. The relational life of God. Secondly, the relational love of God. The relational love of God. Now, I've included this Genesis 1 and this Proverbs 8 reading today for a reason. The first is, is just look at the language. I mean, Jesus says in Genesis 1, or excuse me, God says in Genesis 1, let us make humankind. There's your first clue. The way that some scholars talk about that word is it's a composite singularity, a mystery, right? Let us. And then in Proverbs 8, we have this feminine, and we have this figure that says, I was there. Hey, by the way, I was there for all of that. This person in Proverbs 8 saying this, I was there, this feminine, this wisdom, Sophia. I was there when this was put together. I was there when this was constructed. I saw him make the deep. I saw him create this. When the foundations were laid, I was there. Now, I give you that because I believe that had to be what some of these Um, the apostles were thinking when they were trying to conceive of who God is. After Jesus comes along and walks on water and he's raising people from the dead and all these miracles are taking place and then rises again from the dead, one of their questions has to be, how do we remain monotheists? How do we conceive of God now? I mean, we came into this thing with a pretty simple notion but then Jesus has done these things, and he's, he even said to baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm telling you, things like Genesis 1, the us language, things like Proverbs 8, this was a part of how they were processing it had to be, as they were trying to come up with and to, and to, and to understand God as tri-unity, God as trinity. But here's the real reason, bigger than those two, that I put those two in the reading today. And it's because of this to show that creation itself is a radical act of love. Creation itself is a radical act of love. Why? This is why. God is already, God is already a self-contained community. God is already a safe contained community. 
and does not need anything else external to God's self. God is already a self-contained community and does not need anything external to God's self. Now think about that for a minute. This means that if you ask God, hey God, how's your relational life? God would say, fantastic. It's awesome. Perfect. Set. Thank you very much. If you texted God and said, God, how's your relational life? You'd get like two hands up, you know, 100, or thumbs up, or punch, or whatever it is you like to do, you know. Maybe you're a person who does the gifs instead. I don't know. But astonishingly, God does not do that. God chooses as an act of his outpouring radical love to create, including humanity. Now, push pause for just a second. If all of creation is an act of God's radical outpouring love, If that's true, then any person who's a Jesus follower should be someone who has a radical care for this very creation. Climate care, climate values, understanding what our responsibility is as stewards of this very world. If this world, if this creation, including humanity, is an act of God's extraordinary love, this should be a high priority. It is an indictment on the American church, honestly that so many Jesus followers are associated with not giving, clean up my language, a hoot about the environment. But I digress. Back to my point. The way God's internal community rolls is to spill out, to spill out with creativity to include all of creation, including humanity. The three persons of the Trinity were there at creation. In the New Testament, we have writers saying that Jesus was the mediator of creation. In this beautiful passage here we have in Proverbs 8 that's printed in your worship folder, just take a moment to look at that. The Lord created me at the beginning of his work. The first of his acts of long ago, ages ago, I was set up. These things are not all printed, but at the end it says... It says, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him like a master worker. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always. I rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting. God says God was delighting in the human race. Think about that for just a minute. Is that what comes to mind when you think about God? That God delights in the human race? What are the implications of that? What are the implications for that of things that are as abstract and outside, but very personal for many of us, as immigration? What does it mean for how we treat others around us? That we are literally, that God delights in the human race. Here's a more pointed question. What does it mean to let that inform how you love yourself. What does it mean to allow that to inform your struggle with self-loathing and self-condemnation? What does it mean to allow that, that God delights in the human race, you're part of the human race, God delights in you? What does it mean 
to allow that to inform that inner critic that will not be quiet in your brain. What does it mean for that sentence, God delights in you, what does it mean for that to overturn the verdicts that have been passed in your life? To see yourself as the delight of God. That last phrase is 100. And then lastly, the relational community of God. If all these things are true, the relational life of God, the relational love of God, all of creation, including humanity, being an outpouring of His extraordinary love, what does it mean for the relational community of God? Well, a couple of things. First of all, it means that community... Friendship is actually foundational to our understanding of Christian spirituality. You are hardwired for community, for friendship, made by a God who is God's self, community and friendship. That means that the human need to belong is a life and death issue. We know this to be the case. The human need to belong is a life and death issue. Isolation kills. Solitary confinement, we now know more deeply exactly what this does to people. It's inhumane. Exclusion, rejection, ostracism, banishment, are the tools of Satan to dehumanize the image of God. We know this now. And we must, therefore, persist in our aspirations of inclusion in this community. Secondly, the relational community of God is marked with diversity. Diversity is celebrated, even delighted in. The three persons of the Trinity were not afraid of each other. Together they know they heal the world. Another key, Mark, is reciprocity. There's give and take. There's listening and talking. Reciprocity in the life of God and reciprocity in the life of the community that seeks to follow this triune God. That means that we make space for everyone to have a voice, both extroverts and introverts both loud talkers and soft talkers. This is just for the community group leaders. You'll thank me later. This means that when you're in community life, you listen and check yourself on how much you're talking to make sure that other people get a chance to talk and to make room for them in community. You're welcome, community group leaders. You're welcome. To be intentional about centering voices that otherwise don't get to speak. I'll never forget the first trip I took to Israel-Palestine, and our wise guide, Marvin, Marlon Viss, told us, he said, because every one of these uh, guides that we're going to have throughout this time, the guys that stand at the front of the bus and use the microphone and talk about everything, they're all Palestinian Christians, and I want you to know how important it is that you listen. Because he said, nobody is listening to them in the entire world right now. And this is your chance 
to be quiet and to listen. Oh, sure, ask questions, sure. But we're going to be centering their voice during this time. So powerful. The relational community of God is one of reciprocity. It's foundational, diversity, also equality. I already said this, but the Father's not greater than the Son, the Son greater than the Spirit, etc. Now, I know some of you are going, wait a second, when I read the New Testament, I see things like Jesus obeying the Father, doing the Father's will, and yes, Jesus is exemplifying for us what it means to be a follower of this triune God. But there is no ontological subordination within the life of the Trinity, no subordination based on essence, there is equality. And then creativity, another mark of the spiritual community of God. Creativity. In other words, the relational community of God always goes beyond itself. It always goes beyond itself, as the Trinity does as well. Each member of the Trinity surrounding itself, each other member of the Trinity, I know this is mysterious and hard to say, but I'm doing my best, but they surround one another with love and blessing and generosity just as we are meant to use our community to encircle others with love and blessing and generosity. But to go a step further, the relational life of God, community of God, should spark creativity in all the areas of our life. Whether it be technology or art or science or business or writing or literature, Because the God who creates us is a God who answers that call in your life that you know intuitively is there, that desire that you have to transcend just your own existential moment, that desire you have to create, to make a difference, to be of purpose in this world, that desire you have to to be an entrepreneur is because you are made by a God who always goes beyond God's self, who makes trees that make trees, who makes humans that make humans. You see, all creation is rigged to go beyond itself. And lastly, and this is not the only six, by the way. Your group should think of more. These are the six I came up with. Hospitality. That the relational community of God is always doing the work of invitation, of welcome, of making room, always. The relational life, love, and community of God, a community based in a God who is community and friendship. Friends, we aspire to do this. I just want to tell you, we, only, we are aspiring. We're not arrived by any stretch. We have a long way to go in all sorts of ways. But together, all of us are called to create this relational communal life with one another. And the invitation is to go on the journey with us this year. The invitation is to see if we can't together, because it's not going to be done just because I preach on it. It's not going to be done because a few of you buy in. It's going to be because all of us together say, yes, let's insist. Let's insist on this. This is part of what this Trinity has done. God, who raised Jesus from the dead and sends His Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth, that we might create communities of flourishing, of enrichment, that are filled with a pulsating life of God in it for the sake of the city. That's it. That's it. And so we're called to do it together. Are you in?
Let us pray. Gracious God, help us today as we seek to apply who you are as Trinity into the life of this congregation, that we might more and more mimic you, spread your love, invite others into it, that our lives might be more characterized more and more as seeing ourselves as dancing within your divine love. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.